Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Shall we begin? Hello there and welcome to our first feedback podcast, which is going to be more or less just Phil and I having a bit of a chat and giving some of your thoughts and feelings and comments that we've received into the mix. Yes. So first of all, I'd like to thank you all for listening to our podcast and downloading us. It's been great to hear from you all. So let's see if we can have a bit of a chat with you. Yeah. And before we start, I just want to give a spoiler warning for all of the films. Because we are going to be talking about all of the films and all of the podcasts we've done up until now. So uh, if you haven't seen any of the films, then we might possibly give away something that happens in one or two or nine of them. So first of all, before we just dive straight into our conversation, I've got a couple of bits of news for you, Hellraiser-based news. The first of which, which you may have noticed already if you've been following any Hellraiser news or looking up the forums and things, or Twitter accounts, there's some sort of a buzz at the moment about a possible Hellraiser TV show, which is going back and forth. But I think we need to say first up that it doesn't seem like there's actually any concrete evidence that this is going to happen. I think Clive Barker was talking about a possible Nightbreed TV show, which looks like it it might be going ahead. They're they're talking about that, I think, at the moment. And as that was being talked about, the guy who owns the TV rights to Hellraiser piped up and said, oh yes, and I'm going to do it as a TV show as well. And I've talked to Doug Bradley, and we're going to do it. And then the whole of the internet exploded and went, they're making a Hellraiser TV show. But it does seem that this guy who owns the TV rights, every now and again when there's a new project about Hellraiser or anything else to do with Clive Barker, he pops up and says, oh yeah, and I'm going to do a TV show as well. But it doesn't seem to happen. So don't hold your breath for this one. It might it might happen. If they get some interest in some, someone to produce it, then it might happen. But I don't think it's going to happen just yet. No. I mean, I don't know. Is it a good idea even? What do you think? Well, that's yeah, that's that's a whole new question. But I think it could be a good idea if it's done really well. I mean, it, it all depends on what they did with it. If they, if anyone has uh, seen Freddy's Nightmares, the United yeah. Elm Street spin-off series, that was not terribly good. And it was basically a different horror story every week with Freddy Krueger at the beginning and the end just sort of going, Oh, I've got a story for you today. <laughs> yeah. This girl did this thing and oh, it was awful. And I loved it. And that's like it. Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, yeah. A bit of Richard Nixon as well. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, Hellraiser, the, the, the way that it works with the box, and the box being transported to different people, hmm. it actually could work as a brilliant series happening, you know, amongst what, different characters. a different characters. person opens a box every week. Yeah, but it, you know, rather than it just being so formulaic... I would like to see it if it was like a, you know, there was an overarching story. Well, that's what I was going to say, yeah. If it yeah. was like a, a series-long, like lost sort of thing, a series-long story with a cliffhanger at the end of each episode, mm. then you could tell a quite interesting story, I think. But it would have to be on, on a channel, you know, that can show anything they want, like HBO or something, where they can show violence and nudity and swearing and stuff. Yeah, it would be good, though, wouldn't it, if it was... If it was like a kind of well, you know, long running en- series, encourage it just to see what see what they can come up with. But yeah, it'd be great. I mean, you just need people to think about Hellraiser again because there's been this remake that's been talked about and talked about, and it's never, it's not happening at the moment. The new film came out, Sunk Without a Trace, and has only really been seen by hardcore Hellraiser fans. And so, if there was a TV show, that would at least create the buzz again. And and Hellraiser should have a buzz around it. Damn it, because it's bloody good. It is. It's amazing, but it's a very 
I don't know, listening to our podcasts as I've been doing recently, going back over them, mm. I, I was thinking about the first Hellraiser film again and I just thought, God, it's such a sort of fragile thing what Hellraiser is all about, if you know what I yeah. mean. Like the actual concept of the film, the, the first film captured this real magic and it's a, I think it's a really difficult thing to actually keep doing as has been shown by some of the other films that have kind of <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. veered away from um, what made the first one so special. Yeah. So talking of the podcast, the next little bit of news is, for those who aren't aware or haven't quite put this together yet, this year is the 25th anniversary of Hellraiser coming out, the first Hellraiser film. It was in 1987, so it's been 25 years. And we're hoping to have our 25th podcast come out on the anniversary of the 25th year. <laughs> That's the plan. Yeah. And we'll have a couple of special things as well happening for the anniversary podcast-wise. And another thing we're planning, which we want to put the feelers out there and see if anyone's interested, is we're thinking about trying to arrange a screening of Hellraiser around, it'll be around September time. It'll be in London, in the UK, because that's where we're based. So if anyone is interested and would like to come and see Hellraiser with us, then do let us know. Drop us an email, hellraiserpodcast at hotmail.co.uk. Because if we do get some interest and people are willing to come to London for the night and, and have some fun and watch the film and get together and just have a bit of a bit of a party, but not like Hell World, <laughs> no. <laughs> then let us know and we'll see if we can arrange something. And the other thing I want to mention about our podcast, I'm going to be very cryptic now, is we're planning something else quite special. Mm. which will be coming your way on Friday the 13th of July. Friday the 13th. July. So there you go. That's all I'm going to say about that one now. Yes, put that date in your diaries. Yeah. And Special treat. Log on to your iTunes on that day and click refresh. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound as good, does it? It doesn't, does it? No, no right. maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> so let's we crack on to the feedback then. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, we asked you guys who your favourite Cenobite was, and there's been quite a big discussion about this on the different places. And just so you know, we're getting this feedback from a few different things. We're getting it from our email address, also from Twitter, a few things on Twitter, and also from the forum at the, the Hellbound Web forum, which you can get through Cenobite.com. We've got our own thread there, the Hellraiser podcast thread, and a few of these coming from that as well. Now, I think we said, oh, and Facebook as well. So I think we said that our favourite Cenobite was Chatterer, I think. Yeah. Well, that's he's my one. Would you agree with that? He is. He's, he's my one as well. Would you say you prefer him to Pinhead? Or are we sort of taking Pinhead out of the... I think you've got to take Pinhead out of the equation. Well, a lot of these other people haven't. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, for me, I don't know, though. I think when I watched it, actually, the the one character who really resonated with me, who really made me go, wow, was actually Chatterer, mm. more so than Pinhead. Well, me too. I mean, if you watch that first film, as soon as Chatterer comes on screen, it's just like, oh, my God, look at that. That's incredible. And it's not the same in the later films when Chatterer's in them because the makeup's not the same. and It's just a, a mask, a much cheaper mask. You go back and you watch that first film that first moment you see chatter properly in the hospital where he arrives and grabs hold of Kirsty, it's absolutely horrific and amazing it is it's brilliant it's so good and again here's something i was thinking about looking listening to our old podcasts mm. 
about things that we've had to kind of leave out of the podcasts. Yeah. And um, there's loads of them. There's loads of <laughs> loads of comments and things that I wanted to say and, you know, things that kind of we had to re-edit and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah. on this subject, I just want to put out there that Nicholas Vince, what a great job he did with Chatterer. Yeah, really, really good. You know, his physicality and the way he moves in that film is, is brilliant and under such horrible constraints. Yeah, because he couldn't really do much in that costume. In fact, all of them. Um, I, I watched it again re- really recently, a couple of days ago. And again, I was struck by, you know, Simon Bamford, Nicholas Vince, and mm. all, all of them are brilliant. And they had to go through such a horrible time yeah, <laughs> to true. create these things. And um, they did a brilliant job. And I don't think I stressed that enough when we did our first Hellraiser podcast, <laughs> just how no. good, you know, all of them are. Well, the first podcast, we didn't really know what we were doing. <laughs> no, no. And we were waffling for ages and then we had to cut it down and edit it. But no, it's really true. It's very impressive, all of them in that in that first one, the first two films. But going back to favourites for a moment, a few different people have said different things. And on Facebook, I asked people what they who they liked best, and a lot of people said Chatterer. They agreed with us. Um, quite a few people said the female Cenobite. She mm. was quite popular as well. Mm. Now, why do you think that might be? I guess she's, she's quite. A girl. She's a <laughs> she's a she's a girl. She's a girl. She's quite striking must be said she's you know very stylized she, yeah i mean i I'm, there's things about that character that i really like that i like the kind of sort of growling noise that comes oh, yeah, under yeah, yeah. her voice you know when you sort of see her yeah and she's got some great moments in the film like i love when she's walking up the stairs and she's scraping the wall with her blade and blood's coming out yeah i mean that's yeah that's brilliant that really stuck with me also she's one of the only other cenobites that talks but maybe mm. that's something about the, the female as well. She's obviously powerful and she's eloquent, which makes a big difference. And all, you know, great respect to Grace Kirby, who played the female Cenobite, because... In I, the first one. In the first one. In the first one. It was Barbie Wilde in the second one. Barbie <laughs> Wilde in the second one. Both did brilliant job. Yeah. Um, but Grace, Grace Kirby in, in the first one has, I think, like a different atmosphere to her than Pinhead, because they're both yeah. similar. They both speak. Yeah. But she seems a lot more cold to me this mm. is my personal opinion she seems a lot more kind of like she's sort of into being a Cenobite whereas I feel yeah. like Pinhead has that kind of weariness and melancholy to him well also Pinhead's the one who who decides not to just take Kirsty back I mean he's she's the one saying you know perhaps we prefer you even though that was supposed to be Butterball saying that but she's the one who says that and like she's saying we're going to take you away and then it's Pinhead who says, "Well, no, hang on, let's. Um, no, maybe. All right, if you if you can prove that it's him, then then maybe I'll take you back." And in the second film, again, it's the female Cenobite and Butterball and Chatterer who are just about to get Tiffany, and Pinhead's the one who says, "No, we're not after her." So yeah, I think you're right there. The female is much more. She's just there to, you know, grab Kirsty and then leave again yeah she's there to kind of do her job mm. and um i really like that because they've got such yeah. little screen time yeah but there you go you've got a complex kind of relationship set up there she Different. looks great as well in that brilliant that bit brilliant yeah absolutely and another fav- favorite which i've mentioned briefly just now is chenard as a cenobite yeah. he's a really popular popular one loads of people and if you check out the uh the, the hellbound web they've got some polls and things and chenard is is pretty pretty up there Mm, well, a, lot, a lot of people prefer Chenard to Pinhead. So why do you think that is? I don't know. I actually can't see it. And no offence to anyone who, who 
prefers Chenard, but I one of the main reasons I love Pinhead so much is because of his look and because he's so he's such a specific look and it's really kind of elegant in some way and as Clive, what Clive Barker says in the commentary that you know he's it's beautiful and it, it kind of is in in quite a macabre and disturbing way and I don't think Chenard is as good visually. Um, I like the you know the wire that goes into his head when he's turned into a Cenobite, but then it's just sort of some lines after that. I don't really like the massive penis attached to his head that carries him around. Um, and the, the snakes come out of his hands, although it's a brilliant idea, because they're stop-motion 80s style. They're a little dated now. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Like I, I like the idea of the big tentacle that goes into his head. And carries him around. <laughs> yeah, I, I like, but I like the idea of it more I like, than I like. Yeah, I think the, so. the, the actual thing. Um, I don't like his lines as much either, as because Pinhead always has you know poetic lines, and it's always very thoughtful and intelligent, and he's kind of philosophical as well. Whereas Chenard, you know, is saying things like, "The Doctor is in yeah evisceration." But then that is a good point because I like that because to me it shows that. Like, Chenard is not right for hell in terms of that he's a kind of super Cenobite, but his mm. h- if he got rid of all the other Cenobites as he does, and he was going to rule hell, he would be you know it would be just not the same. I, I don't know how to explain it. It, w- it wouldn't be as no, good. You're right. It's not. It's not got the order. He's just basically slaughtering everyone. Yeah, he's he's like a maniac, and he's yeah. just going crazy, and and so it's it's not got that fine sense of order and niceness that you've got with the original Cenobites. No, I think so. Yeah, it's just basically... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other Cenobites, they, they turn up and they're doing their job and they're talking about, you know, this, this, that, and there's rules and all this. And Chenard just turns up and slices people up like a... Butcher. Like, what? Surgeon. Like a generic horror villain. Hmm. So that, but that's a good thing because that's, I guess, what the story... But that's, yeah, that's, that, that's the story of, of part two. Yeah, definitely. But I, I don't think I could say that I prefer him to Pinhead as a character and certainly not to Chatterer. No, I but think... As I, but that's just my opinion. I'm not saying, you know, anyway, I'm not saying you're all wrong and I'm right because this is not about right and wrong. It's about, you know, personal opinions. And they're, they're always going to be different. Well, and the other thing is, I think with pretty much everything in the Hellraiser film, certainly the first two, if we ever have a negative comment, it still comes from saying, this is absolutely amazing, <laughs> but... I don't quite like this as yeah. much. Yeah. Like, I still think Chenard is a brilliant character. Oh, yeah, it's me a too. brilliant me thing. Me too. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just not quite as good for me as, um, yeah, Chatterer or Pinhead. But I personally it. prefer him when he's a human. Well, I mean, Ken Because I Cranham, love all that stuff of him going down to the basement and oh, walking around his so good. horrible, That's dirty... so good. <laughs> I wish there was more of that in that film. I wish there was more of his study and all the things he's got and the... You know, the old Cenobite boxes and stuff. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. So good. And Ken Cranham is a, is amazing in that part. Yeah, yeah really good. So speaking of favourites, um, favourite films is always a interesting conversation as well. And I think people ask us which, are, which film is our favourite. And I think it's safe to say that number one is both of our favourites. Well, yes. it's mine, isn't it? It's yours, I think, as well. Absolutely. And I think that Hellraiser is one of the best horror films ever made. And I think it's probably my favourite horror film ever made. And I said that to someone recently and they said, oh, you're just saying that because you do the podcast. And I said, no, I'm doing the podcast because I think that. (laughs) That's the whole point. Yeah. 
But a lot of people, there a lot of people actually prefer Hellbound. Yeah, they do. They do. And um, I don't know. I, I think sometimes these things can come from what order you see them in. And, yeah, you could know, be. Yeah. If it, Hellbound, for a lot of people, was the first one that they saw. Yeah, makes sense. And um, and that, so you have that more special connection with it. Yeah, and it's it's a lot you know gory, and there's a lot more gruesome graphic stuff in it, and there's a lot more that happens in it. It's much bigger in scope. Yeah, and a lot of people who will prefer that sort of thing will like the film much more than the first one because first one's very much a claustrophobic, you know, set in one place more or less. Yeah, I think the first one's more fragile. It's like I said before, like what it's about is is very kind of. You've got to think about it yeah. to really realise the true horror of it, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like Hellraiser because, in a way, it's like a thinking person's film. You know, you, you if you really think about what's happening in the film, there's so much there. It makes you go, "Wow!" You know, it's not all just bang, 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 bang on the screen. No, and that's why I love it. Yeah, me too. There's a lot of subtext as well, and it's very thoughtful. But it also delivers in that Clive Barker way. Yeah, and the second one is much less subtle, but that's that's not bad for the film because the film still works really, really well as a balls to the wall sort of action horror film. Yeah, it's a, a huge sort of escalation from the first one, mm. but you know, still bloody good. Still <laughs> very good. bloody good. Very some bloody scenes. good. So while we're here, let's just talk about the first film again for a moment. And there's one thing I want to clear up that I said on the very first ever podcast. I was talking about Sean Chapman, who plays Frank as a human. Um, And I said that he's an Irish actor. And people pointed out on the forum that that was just wrong. And at the time, I was thinking, well, I'm, I'm sure I heard that on one of the commentaries on the DVD. So I'm not wrong. Whoever said that on the commentary was wrong. But then this week, I listened to all the commentaries and no one says it. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know where I got that from. So <laughs> apologies, he's not Irish at all. He's he's English. Um so that's an error of mine. Forgive me, please. But Sean Chapman, he's not Irish. Nothing wrong with being Irish. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> but he happens not. to not be. And so I don't like factual inaccuracy. No, I'm I'm sure there's many things that we've said. <laughs> I'm sure there are. But I mean that's what's great about this podcast, as we've always said from the very beginning, we're setting it up just going, we're trying to just figure stuff out and we don't know chat about everything stuff. about these films we're, no. we're getting to know a lot well but, that's um, what's really good about doing this isn't it well, yeah and getting to sort of get feedback from people online and and chat about these things and speaking of him as well if anyone's got the blu-ray edition of hellraiser which if you've got a blu-ray player you must get because the quality is absolutely ridiculously amazing it's it's so weird to you see will it, not isn't it? believe how good it looks compared to the dvd Mm, buy it um, in fact get a Blu-ray player just for that reason but I'm tempted on the, you should I, I think I may <laughs> come over my, that, that actually time. really turned my mind when I saw it um, but there is a trailer and a quite rare trailer for the first film on the Blu-ray disc which apparently you can get elsewhere I've never seen it anywhere else though. I've only ever seen it on this and it's got Sean Chapman's voice as Frank doing Frank's dialogue but with an English accent and just him speaking. And it's really weird to watch. Obviously, before they dubbed him over, they'd made this original trailer. And I guess that was what it was going to be. Hmm. Which is weird, because he's Larry's brother, and Larry's clearly American. Yeah. But it's very odd to hear him doing an English accent. No, absolutely, it is. And while we're on the subject of the first film, there's something... We've had some feedback from Sean Carr, who's been giving us quite a few things. Thanks, Thanks, Sean. 
who mentions one of his favourite bits ever is Julia remembering her affair with Frank in the first one. And then he says, you did not go over the top enough on Christopher Young's music in the earlier podcasts. And I I agree with you. I mean, I could talk for an hour on Christopher Young's music. It's absolutely phenomenal. I think we did say that it was brilliant and we loved it. But you're right. There's that one particular scene where she's upstairs remembering Frank and, you know, Larry's bringing the bed in, the marital bed, and he cuts his hand on the nail as she's remembering getting nailed by Frank. And the music is just soaring and elegant and beautiful, and it's brilliant. It's so funny you say that because, again, I watched it recently with (laughs) someone who hasn't watched it ever. All right. And after that scene, she went, epic music. Yeah, it is. It's a brilliant track. I think that track's called Hellbound Heart, I think, on the CD. It's so good, isn't it? It's really just so good. Amazing. The music just elevates the film so much. It's, it's, just, oh, it's just brilliant. <laughs> it really is. And, and we said it before, and we'll say it again, but if you can get your hands on the, the CD or the download, then do listen to it and just have it as a score, because it is phenomenal. Mm. And the score for Hellbound is really good as well. Mm. It's, it's bigger and it's more choral, and it's more orchestral, and it's, it's wonderful. So, moving on to the second film, we, as we said just now earlier on, it's some people's favourite film. And it's not ours, but it's probably, well, it's quite clearly my second favourite, I'd say. Yours? Yes. Yeah? Definitely my second favourite. Um, and it can totally be seen as an extension from the first one. You can watch one and two back-to-back as one long film. Yeah. It's still a brilliant film. Yeah. And I really loved it when I first saw it. And I think everyone loves it. Yeah. And it's got that scene with the Browning cutting himself open with a razor that's oh. the most hideous thing ever committed to film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, a, as we've just said, all the stuff with the asylum and Chouinard and all yeah. that. So good. In fact, when we met Oliver Smith at the Comic Con last year, I got him to sign the picture of him and actually got him to write to get him off me. on. <laughs> <laughs> So, not much to say about the second one, really, apart from that we think it's brilliant. We didn't get much feedback on that one because uh, we only just started and we, people, the feedback didn't start coming in until the later films, really. I guess people have more to say about the later ones than the first few. They just say, love it, brilliant. Yeah, they're both just really yeah. good, aren't they? Um... But speaking about favourites, I will just say, moving on to the third film, briefly, that the third one is, is my third favourite film. And I, I know that is different to a lot of people's opinions. Because there are some people that don't like the third as much as some of the later ones because it's a, it gets a little silly and it gets a bit big. And But for me personally, I love the third film and I think a lot of it is nostalgia because I think it was the first Hellraiser film I ever saw. Was it? I think so. I wow. can't quite remember the first time I ever saw any of these films, but I, I reckon it was the first one on TV one night. Because oh. I never saw the original. I never. Well, I used to look at the video boxes in the local video store and just wish I could see this man with nails in his head but I never could because I was too young to rent them out and I think I caught the third one on TV once and I thought that's what they were and then and saw the early ones later wow but um so I'll get a real nostalgic kick when I see number three I mean the first time I saw number three was when the CGI was still cutting edge (laughs) and was amazing yeah I remember seeing something on TV about it about them saying about the Water yeah. coming out of the glass and turning into the yeah, and then when the heads merge at the end, yeah, and I remember thinking, Amazing. "My God, look what they can do nowadays!" <laughs> oh. So I love the third one a lot. 
And I know that it's not the best film in the world. And if you if you share them with people who have never seen them before, you get to the third one and you and every now and again you feel a bit silly and think, yeah, I know, I know, he's shooting CDs <laughs> and he's got a CD in his mouth. But leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think as a Hollywood-ized summer movie, it's still yeah, got enough... well, that's what it is, It's really, still got it? enough Hellraiser in it that it's like a weird summer movie. Which and it's nice like. that the Hellraiser films are different. You've got the first one that's all claustrophobic and the second one which is bigger and more horrible. The third one's your big Hollywood slasher-esque cut-em-up film. And then, you know, later on you've got the film noir, which doesn't quite work. And, you know, different. you've got different ones. And it's, it's nice that there are different films for sort of each mood. Well, I think the first three, for me, have all your moods covered. <laughs> yeah. That's all my moods. That's all, all the moods mis- you need. All my different moods <laughs> I've had, I have in the first three. <laughs> what about the mood of disappointment? You can pop number four on. Oh, yeah. No, that. that comes up frequently <laughs> in the later Well, ones. yeah. So, yeah, we. I mean, if you go back and listen to the, the Bloodline podcast, we are, are a bit down on the film, and it's mainly because we think that it should have been amazing and the story is good, and the original script is good, and we're going to talk about that at a later date. But the finished film, for me, it doesn't quite work, and I don't enjoy watching it, as I said on the podcast, and it's a real shame. I think I probably like it a bit more than you, but I still... <laughs> well, that's the thing, I, I don't hate it, I just don't enjoy watching it as much as, the, as some of the others. Yeah, I can, I can put it on. It makes me sad, it makes me sad that it isn't better. Hmm... I can put it on in the background and kind of, yeah. You know, there's some bits of it that I really like still, so I don't mind it. Mm-hmm. But it, it is, as we said in the podcast, a, a huge wasted opportunity. Yeah, it really is. It's a shame. And, it, and you can and you can never forgive it for being the, the the one that kind of started the decline. It's true. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that was the turning point for me. And then the Hellraiser films, whatever you think about the next ones, whether the, some bits are good, some bits are bad or whatever, that's when the franchise for me started to go. And that's uh, when they became, after that, straight to video, straight to DVD. Yeah. And if number four had been brilliant, they would have possibly carried on being released in cinemas and, yeah, who knows. Hmm. But getting back to the feedback, another mention by Sean here, he says that... Bloodline is actually his guilty pleasure. He says, unlike the other post-Hellraiser 2 movies, I can watch it without feeling that I should enjoy it. Take Inferno or Hellseeker. I always feel a bit used after watching these. Mm. Which is, that's fair enough. Yeah. And then he says, the modern day scenes are a bit poo, but especially the past and future parts I love. This leads me to hope that there will be a, a big budget remake of Hellraiser that would be a prequel set in the past. Victorian era would be cool as well. Now we—I think we've spoken about this before, but I yeah, that really, be, really want a Victorian that'd Eva be amazing Hellraiser. <laughs> Although so you couldn't much. really technically have Pinhead, though, could you? <laughs> because he's not been made yet. Well, that's unless fine. there's time travel, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. But it would be just so cool. I just have this image of like rooms with like gas lamps and oh, it'd be amazing. Oh, oh, it'd be so good. But thanks, Sean, for those words. It is. It is. I can see why it could be a guilty pleasure. For some people. And it's a nice story as well. The whole, yeah. you know, bloodline. I just don't like the way that it was filmed. And Anyway, I'm going to stop being down on it because <laughs> it could have been a lot worse. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But uh, it's funny how he says that Inferno and Hellseeker, he feels used after watching them. <laughs> and it's which is which is I can kind of see that as well. But moving on to Inferno, do you have any new thoughts on Inferno? You want to shove our way, Phil? No. <laughs> right. Thanks. Um. Yeah, Inferno is a strange one because it's the, it's the one where you sort of think, which one was that? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mind Inferno. I, I can watch that over and over again, really, which I do. It doesn't make me angry or sad like some of the others do. Yeah. And if you're talking about favourite films, if you take into consideration the ones you would like to watch or the ones you prefer to watch, I suppose, that could be classed as that's what your favourite one is, I suppose. Well, there's there's so many different things here because you there's ones you can bear to watch. Mm. There's Shades of Grey. There's ones you can bear to watch. There's There might be ones that are actually better films that you don't want to watch because you were so disappointed by what well, happened. Yeah. Or Do you know what I mean? So it, it's quite hard to say what is well, that's better the thing, because than for, the others. For me, because I don't enjoy watching Bloodline because it makes me a bit sad and a bit angry, it's right down the, near the bottom of my list. Yeah, well, yeah. I would say that's still much more Hellraiser. Well, it is. It's still, but it's still... Bloodline, for me, is still kind of the tail end of the, you know, the good well, stuff. Well, a lot of people consider the first four to be the Hellraiser films. Yeah. And then the sequels. Yeah. Whereas I think of the first three are the Hellraiser films. Yeah. And then Bloodline is a slightly missed opportunity, and then they go... Yeah, well, I, I agree with you, but yeah. But Hellseeker is also quite low down on my list. Because, again... I think we said in the in the podcast on that one, it's it's a little frustrating. And there are certain things in it that aren't quite done as well as they should be, I think. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit kind of needlessly frustrating, isn't it? That's the thing. It's yeah. just kind of And I know we had a bit of a beef with um Kirsty's actions in it. Yeah. And we got some messages from Scarecrow from the Hellbound Web, who's the moderator of the Hellbound Web site. And he's put quite a few bits of feedback on the actual forum, which we're not going to go through all those now, but do check those out and, and go through his feedback on our podcast on the forum because they're, they're really interesting. But a couple of things he said on Twitter, he said, I've never had any problems with Kirsty's actions in Hellseeker. Her husband tried to murder her for blood money from her father, Julia and Larry. I think after all she went through, to have it dragged back, she made a choice. I don't think it makes her evil. That's what he says. Mm. Um, but I still don't really agree with this being the same Kirsty that we know from the first two films because she wouldn't murder anyone. She would, you know, find a way around it or get help from someone else, maybe. But I, th- I think that that does make her a bit evil or it does change her character, if the fact that she murders five people. And while I was talking about Hellseeker, we had an email from a guy called John who basically says that he's he got a couple of thoughts on Hellseeker and the basically says that the brain surgery scene right at the beginning is the reason for the craziness of the film. Him being worked on having surgery is his hell because it causes him to think stuff that drives him crazy. Mm. Whereas, and that's an interesting way of looking at it, I think. I don't personally like the idea that everything revolves around this brain surgery stuff. But I do quite like, if you look at it as a metaphor, because it's, you know, Pinhead slash the Doctor is putting pins into Trevor's head to get different emotions and different memories. Mm. And it's nice. that's a nice metaphor for Pinhead manipulating Trevor's subconscious. Mm. 
in his hell. Yeah. So that's quite interesting. But still, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense at the end when all of a sudden he's pretty much been dead for the whole thing. And this whole thing didn't happen in much time in terms of real world time because he drowned. Yeah, I I do. I just always get a little bit like mm, about things that didn't happen. And then you say, oh, yeah, but that that wasn't real. And that wasn't, you know, the more of that that you have in it, the more I kind of get a bit like, oh, yeah, but come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does get frustrating, especially if you if you do watch all these in in a row, then you just watched Inferno where it was all a dream. And then you watch Hellseeker and it's kind of none of it was real as well. And it's kind of all a dream as well. All in his hell. Mm. It's like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> You've just done that. And again, it's sort of, you know, the the great thing about Hellraiser, the, the first film, is you wish it was a dream. You yeah, know, it's like it's, Frank saying, but it's like, all you know, real. I used to tell myself it wasn't real, but don't you kid yourself. Stuff has got to be endured, you know. And, yeah, you know, that's the thing. thing. Like, you, you open this door into a room in an attic mm. and Pinhead is standing there. That, yeah, the horror. Yeah, not all this kind of like, oh, it was it real and uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know. This is Ashley Lawrence. You're listening to the Hellraiser podcast. So moving on to Deader, which we said we liked on the podcast, and it turns out that a lot of people like Deader. Hmm. It is quite high up on people's lists of of their favorite films. Not of all time. I mean, Hellraiser films. And I think it's, especially if you are watching these in order, it's quite refreshing after 4, 5 and 6 to actually have a film that looks like a proper movie and has some really good acting and some good writing and some good jumpy scare moments and is quite creepy. Yeah, it's... um, It's a good horror film. It's a nice sort of, yeah, change, this bit. Whoa. And if we're talking about favourites again, I would have to say, if, if you put the films in order of what you prefer, Deader would be fourth for me. It would mm. go one, two, three, Deader, mm. I think, mm. for me. And we mentioned that Deader was originally a different script. It was not a Hellraiser film. It's just a script called Deader. And we are going to go through that on another podcast as well. But the original version versus the version it became when it was turned into a Hellraiser film, which would have been interesting as well. And some people complain that it's obvious that it's just been tacked into a Hellraiser, made into a Hellraiser film, basically. Um, but I think it actually more or less works. I think Winter's story is a little unclear and exactly what his powers are, what he can do, who he is and what he's after is slightly unclear. Mm. But I'm willing to forgive that because it's the film's so stylish. Yeah, definitely. And we mentioned Stan Winston on the Deader podcast, the fact that he was in the credits. We weren't quite sure what he had done in it. And we got a tweet from Scarecrow from the, Hell, the Hellbound Web saying that Stan Winston obtained the script and was set to do the creature effects, but when it was a non-Hellraiser version of Deda, mm. apparently, as far as he's aware, which I, I didn't know that at all. So that's cool. I mean, we mentioned not knowing how involved he was. Yeah, no, that's a really nice bit of information because I was really confused. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially because I've got my luxury Stan Winston art book. <laughs> and it's not in there. No, there's no deaders or anything. There's no spike. <laughs> <laughs> so there's not much to say about deader, really. People like it, it seems. I think it's, it, as you say, it was a nice 
refreshing change. Yeah. And I think most people, by the time they watch Deader, kind of go, oh, that was all right. I think so. That was okay. Yeah. So we're going to move on to talk about Hell World in a minute. Mm. But before I do, I just want to mention, I think that you... I mentioned all the podcasts about Hellseeker, Deader and Hellworld, that you can't get them in the UK on DVD. And I think they've now been released since we did the podcast. Mm. I know you can get them through Play.com and I think HMV.com as well. The Region 2 DVDs. I'm not, I haven't done it myself because I've already got them <laughs> from... America and Holland so I don't really want to buy a third version of all of the films especially not Hellworld but I don't know if, if you got them they would be the the Dutch import or if they are specifically made sort of you know English edition hmm. but I know that you can get them pretty easily now and I'm not saying that the company heard our podcast and then released them because <laughs> of that <laughs> <laughs> oh check it out if anyone wants to buy them, let us know yeah. if you buy them and where from. I might buy Deader again, just to see what version it is, if I can find it cheap. But I don't need three versions of Hellworld. <laughs> Speaking of which, Hellworld. Hellworld. Um, so, this film isn't as well liked as Deader. No, it's pretty much hated. Yeah, I'm going to say one thing about uh Hellworld itself, and then I'm going to launch into the Hellworld versus Revelations conversation, which Wait, is going whoa, to take a while. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> and the one thing I'll say, the only specific thing I want to say about Hellworld on its own is uh, something that we got wrong, maybe. Maybe. It's at the end of the film, you see a figure in the window that's the ghost that called the police to get them out of their boxes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and we said in the podcast, we thought it was Sister Ursula. Yeah. Now, I don't know where I got that from. If that was from, some, I read it somewhere or in the commentary or something, I can't quite remember. But apparently, a lot of people think that it's actually supposed to be Adam. Yeah. The ghost of the their friend who was who committed suicide. Yeah. Which obviously still doesn't make any sense. No. At all. But apparently that's something that we got wrong. It, I, I don't know why I said that because I've always thought it was. I'm trying Adam. to think if it was in the commentary, maybe because I mean they don't know what the hell's going on. I don't think <laughs> anyone does, do they? I've always thought it was Adam. It just makes it doesn't make any sense still. But well, you it said makes, it was. That's what I mean. In the podcast. That's what I mean. So I, I'm I'm thinking now. Did I think it was her because I heard them say it on the commentary, or did I think it was her then and then since then I've gone no wait no I can't. Adam really remember where I got that from either but we both thought it was supposed to be Sister Ursula even though she's she doesn't make any sense either it makes less sense for it to be her the whole film doesn't make any sense what am I talking about <laughs> ridiculous ridiculous but film anyway all the feedback we got we got some very positive feedback from that podcast <laughs> yeah but no positive feedback about the film no no one likes it and it is no one likes general, it well, it's completely universally hated I think yeah, and I think when we sort of said, but it is just a silly film that you can just watch in a silly way. Yeah. Some um, people some were a people... bit like, it's... no, you can't. Yeah, Scarecrow uh, was quite vocal in saying that uh, he really dislikes the film because it's there are so many plot holes and so many things that are just wrong mm. um, that I think it makes him quite cross. Yeah, and that's a, another thing, as we were saying before, about the different films. You have different experiences with him, mm. don't you? And for me... I just think it's rubbish, but it doesn't offend me. No, I mean, I think it's silly, and it's a really bad film, but I I can watch it, 
Yeah, but um, yeah, some quite a lot of other people hate it really and, and, and hate can't it. And bear wish to watch it. Made. Yeah, they they couldn't possibly watch it again. Um, which is really interesting. It's really interesting to see everyone's yeah. different kind of you know things on it because like, because I've seen it a few. I've seen it quite a few times. I've seen it. There's people getting mad on the internet right now <laughs> listening to you. But I have though. I'd seen it a few times before we even started this podcast, and then you and I watched it together on mm. the day we recorded it. Yeah. And I sat through it, and we were just laughing at it. That's yeah. that's the thing. Well, I think we said this on the podcast. I sat through it with you, and we had a great time laughing. taking the piss out of it, yeah. basically. Yeah. And for that, it's it's great fun. Well, yeah. The, the, our reactions at the end of Hell World versus yeah. like Inferno. Yeah. Where we both just kind of went. Hmm. But my, my, at the end of, like, Bloodline, for example, I was like, oh, that's such a shame. Yeah. And then end of Hell World, we were like, oh, my God, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that was so stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. But, yeah, we're definitely not endorsing it in any way. Oh, God, no. Not no, an endorsement no, no, of no. Hell World. Not an endorsement of Hell World. But <laughs> we're moving on now to the... We asked in our little Calling All Fans pre-feedback podcast podcast... We said, what's worse, Hell World or Revelations? And pretty much everyone wrote back saying, what are you talking about? It's a stupid question. Hell World is much worse than Revelations. Yeah. Which is interesting. It is interesting. Because if you remember our Revelations podcast, we weren't very positive about that at all. No. When, yeah, when we did that podcast, you know, we were pretty down on that film yeah to be fair going, looking back at that it, the film had literally just come out we just I just bought it and we we just watched it yeah so there was a huge you know yeah. weight of emotion mm-hmm. behind our words but I'm still not going to really go back on what so this is the I question <laughs> Phil we're going to sit down this afternoon if I was to say this we're going to sit down and watch a film we're going to watch either Hell World or Revelations which one would you rather watch today uh... Well, that's a slightly complicated question because I kind of, as you said, would like to watch Revelations again, just to confirm. Because you've only seen it once. I've only seen it once. And I just want to watch it again just to really nail down that, yes, it was as bad as I thought. See, I've seen it a couple of times now. And um, So what would you say then? Well, maybe Revelations because it's shorter. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I... I honestly am such a big fan of the whole franchise. I could happily watch either of them again. I don't, I honestly don't know which one I would rather watch now. I could watch. I could sit through Hell World and take the piss out of it, or sit through Revelations and take the piss out of it and get a bit cross and sad about that one as well. I do think that um, Hell World is completely flawed and is not a good film in any way. But I also think that Revelations is a very badly made film and that's why I don't enjoy that one because I don't think it's very good technically yeah as well as anything else there's a lot of disappointment in um it looks so cheap and the acting is so bad that it I struggle to get through it that's the thing I think it's it's not saying which is better no, it's this is the thing this is all about yeah the mood that you get off the film like I remember being really really down when I'd seen Revelations. Mm. And I I wasn't giggling and going, this is stupid. I was just a bit sad. Yeah, well, th- this is also, you know, personal choices as well. Because there are a lot of people out there that, that don't really care about how a film looks. The 
picture quality or how it sounds or the sets or the acting maybe. But because you and I know quite a lot about, you know, the industry and we have worked in it ourselves, we can see flaws Mm. and they jump out at me a lot more than they do for some other people. Because I know some people who can look past, you know, bad acting or bad writing and go straight to the story and say the story was really good. But I can't get past the acting. I can't... I do not believe anything that's happening in it if it's not believably acted. No, absolutely. And again, you know, people take different things. Like a lot of people online were kind of like, look, Revelations is not that bad. And it's actually a very hellraisery film, if mm. you know what I mean. It's got almost a checklist of things in it. Yeah, you're right. We got an email from a guy called Kurt who said that he was really dreading watching it. I think he'd listened to our podcast first, maybe. And then he watched it and didn't think it was that bad. Mm. And he's, he'd actually put a bit of a checklist on the email. He said, incest, check. Infidelity, check. Sadism, check. Oedipal issues, check. Girl on girl, Cenobite action in the background, check. And um, that's true, and all those things are in it, but, well, there's just a bit of a but as well from me. And he says, you know, it was bad, but it was Hellraiser bad. And in his opinion, it was the first Hellraiser movie since Bloodline that was truly Hellraiser. Which I, I agree with that, I think. And if you look at the story, and Gary Tunnicliffe's story and script he wrote, there's a lot of ideas that are very much like the first film, the first couple of films. Yeah. I think the script um, leaves a little to be desired, and I don't know if that's his fault or if it's the actor's fault or if things were changed, but some of the dialogue is is bad. Yes. Is really bad. But it does have, you know, all the, the hell-raisery things in it, and some people have been saying, you know, the, the film was not that bad. Come on, guys. You know, if this was a, if it was a fan film, you'd say it was brilliant. And that is true. If it was a fan film, it would be really impressive. But the problem is, it isn't. It's an official Hellraiser film. Mm. And for that reason, it should have been better. Yeah, it just didn't just didn't work for me. And having the tick list of things from other Hellraiser films kind of annoyed me. It's like that thing, you know. Well, that's what some you people, said, yeah. Some it's... people found it okay, but I... Some people found it like a sort of great... Oh, yeah, they've took that But it had back. these things, it the, had all those bits. They've got it. those bits from the book or this bit. And, and every one of those callbacks to the earlier films just reminded me of the earlier films and annoyed me. <laughs> but that's just my thing, you know? And I, I guess it's good that people have enjoyed it in some way. Yeah, and there's a few different comments we've had on Facebook as well. Um, one by a chap called Giovanni, who thanks for your comment, who said that he agreed with us on most points. The acting was kind of bad but he said that knowing the film's history he forgave a lot of the flaws but thought the film could have been way worse and yes it could it could have been much worse because at least you know at least the actors were committed to the to the roles some of them <laughs> they should have been committed <laughs> and they were tra- and they were trying something at least yeah but i don't i don't really agree with the whole i know how much trouble they had making the film so i'll forgive it yeah, we we said that on the podcast. That, yeah, you know, you can't just the film has to stand on its own, and you can then go, oh, maybe this bit wasn't that good because they didn't have much money. That's fine, but if the film is just not working and you have to fill in all the dots, then yeah. One thing that most people have said though is they don't like the new Pinhead, which I think is fair enough. Yeah, I think that's definite. Yeah, and that was just silly. I think. 
to make but, him so different to Doug Bradley. Yeah. The way that he moves and the way that he talks. Yeah. Well, anyway. So, this is the thing. So, Hell World versus Revelations. It seems that Revelations has won that battle. Mm. Generally considered a better film than Hell World. Yeah. For my money, I don't think it's a better film in terms of technical things, in terms of look and the way it's technically made as a film. I think, obviously, clearly, the story's better and it makes far more sense and Hell World doesn't make any sense and is stupid and is just a pile of rancid horse manure. Well, yeah. I mean, to go back to your original question, <laughs> this afternoon, if we're going to watch Revelations or Hell World, I'd just walk up to the DVD player and put Hellraiser on. <laughs> That's the one that I want to see. That's the one that I can watch now and be quite happy watching it. Well, yeah. <laughs> and just hide the other two away. Yeah. There is a secret song at the centre of the world, Joey. And its sound is like the Hellraiser podcast. Okay, here's another one. This this is quite interesting. This is uh, another Facebook comment from a guy called Earl. Uh, he says, Who would be a dream production crew for a proper Hellraiser sequel? Who would direct it and who would write the most interesting script? And then he says, An easy answer would be Clive Barker both. But what if you would what would you get if Steven Spielberg directed a Hellraiser movie that Oliver Stone wrote? <laughs> wow. Now that would be pretty that would be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I've no idea what that would be like. No, that would certainly be uh, something worth worth checking out. But it would probably involve some conspiracy theory about the box. Imagine the box was probably made by the US government. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's so many great talents out there, aren't there? And there'd be a little small Cenobite that would befriend a child. <laughs> <laughs> You'd, um... No, there are. I mean, who, any, who would you like to see make a Hellraiser film or write one? I mean, I'm a big fan of of really off-the-wall films, and I'd love to see Charlie Kaufman write a Hellraiser film. Oh, my God, imagine. You know, he did uh, Being John Malkovich and co-wrote Eternal Sun, Summer, Spotless Mind and stuff like that. Yeah. Just based, just going off on one and and just seeing, letting imagination run wild, but without having... And he was dead the whole time at the end. Yeah. I mean, I know I'd I'd like to see David Fincher direct one, because I think it'd be perfect for him. He is an amazing with filmmaker. His, you know, with his dark style and the lighting. And mm. oh, I can just see it now in my head. It'd be so good. What about David Cronenberg? David Cronenberg, he could write it. He could. He could. Why do you say he was right and not direct? No, he could do well, both. He could write David Fincher's version. Yeah, but he could do both. I mean, I'd love to see him direct it. I think he's a fabulous director. Yeah, and, uh, But I don't know, he's also a very good writer. I've been watching some of his early things again recently. Videodrome and... Scanners and The Fly. Oh yeah. my god, so good. So good. Everyone should go out and get all of David Cronenberg's films because <laughs> they're amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean there was there was a Twitter back and forth about who would direct a remake of Nightbreed and a few people said Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. And that would be awesome. <laughs> I agree with that a hundred percent. That would be amazing. Which would be really cool. And he's another one of my favourite directors and he's, his visuals. That's one oh. where there was some back and forth who, who'd make it. And then as soon as someone mentioned him, everyone went, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. And there hasn't really been anyone like that about Hellraiser that someone's mentioned. Everyone's gone, oh, yes. I mean, I David Fincher would be amazing because he's such a good filmmaker. But I don't, I don't know if he would. I, I really feel like Hellraiser is the story of Clive Barker. Like, it's so Clive Barker mm. that the whole franchise is a story of when you take it away from 
its creator what happens to it, yeah. which is not necessarily good. No. Whereas something like Nightbreed, I could see someone else kind of tackling weirdly, even though that's a very Clive Barker story as well. Do you think Clive Barker would write and direct a Hellraiser, the next Hellraiser film? I, I hope so. But I know that he's in the perfect position, I think, because... He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. <laughs> and he doesn't want to get screwed around anymore no, by people no, yeah. you know, messing with his ideas and people who are not as creative as him sticking their oar in and saying, yeah, but you've got to do it this way and we can't afford that. So I, I don't know if he would want to. But if, if, if he was given complete creative control mm-hmm. to do it, I, I, think, he's got I any, think he would. If he's got any sort of story ideas bouncing around in his head. Oh, of course he has. Well, yeah, he's got <laughs> thousands of them. But yeah, that would be brilliant. But they'd have to leave him alone to do it on his own. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And collaborate with the people that he wants to collaborate with. <laughs> and while we're on the subject of Clive Barker, we've had a few people asking us if we're going to do podcasts about his other work as well, especially his other books and other films. And the answer to that is yes, definitely, we are. Mm. Um, at some point, we will. We're going to go through his novels, which are amazing and everyone should read. And also his films as well. We're going to go through other films based on his stories. So things like, you know, Candyman, Midnight Meat Train, Book of Blood, Rawhead Rex, (laughs) Uh. (laughs) which I recently got on DVD. And, uh, hmm, oh dear. Rawhead Rex is an example of an amazing short story turned into a quite a shoddy film, mainly because of the creature effects. If anyone hasn't seen it, it's incredible. It's one of the reasons that Hellraiser was made. (laughs) Because Clive Barker wrote two movies back in the mid-80s that were made into films that he hated. And because of that, he then thought, right, I'm going to do my own film. And now that Hellraiser was born. And Rawhead Rex was one of these films. And Jesus. (laughs) Well, if you'd written a story like Rawhead Rex and then it got made into that film... Well, he wrote the screenplay as well. Well, just to be involved in that and then have it turn out like that, I just think is God. that's the reason why he's kind of. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's for another time. Hey, another yes, podcast. well, yeah, yeah. But uh, for my money, I would sort of say I imagine most of you have seen Candyman, but do you check out the Midnight Meat Train as well? Mm. It's really good, really good. Yeah, we'll we'll be covering them soon. Yeah, and the Books of Blood as well. Of mm. course, if you haven't read the short stories in the Books of Blood, they are superb and you should get those immediately we will talk about those another time yeah so there's one more email i want to read out that we'll talk about which is really interesting and it's from a guy called isaac who sent us quite a few emails and and they're all brilliant and a lot of them you know we've merged into some other ones we've talked about today but this one really got me thinking and it's about it's about lord of illusions but basically tying it into hellraiser and he says what if nix as we first see him in the flashback at the beginning of the film was someone like Frank from Hellraiser, who had escaped hell somehow. Think about how Frank had seemingly enhanced strength and pain resistance, as well as the ability to live in our world lacking much of his flesh. Imagine if Frank had managed to kill Kirsty and escape the Cotton House. Imagine still that he had been not just manipulative, but smart and resourceful as well. Might it not have been possible for him to develop some kind of magic-like powers as a result of his stay in hell and his resurrection? It might also explain how Nyx is even more powerful when he is resurrected at the end of the film. And then he says, anyway, just wondering if that made any sense to anyone else but me. And I think that does make sense. Yeah, it's a great idea. So how's that for an idea? Nick opened the puzzle box yeah, and went to hell and was tortured and 
pleasure and pain indivisible but managed to escape somehow and then but is is laying low still so mm. that the cenobites don't find him that's why he's you know dressed shabbily and living in the desert mm. with his with his people but he's still after that whatever it was he was after in the first place that made him open the box mm. seeking for power or whatever he was after in the first place then it does make sense that you know he he's still here yeah and these guys that come after him who are kind of like harrowers mm. from the comics they might even know about it and they've got all these little bits and pieces they can use to kill him but it just sort of puts him to sleep because he's a resurrected person i think that makes perfect sense isaac and that's a really good idea and you can tie the films together it's a brilliant idea and and that again now makes me think about the tv show (laughs) do you know what i mean because if you had this huge expanded world where things like that where you could have a story arc that follows this guy who's now got a cult who's basically escaped from hell Mm. and the cenobites are kind of tracking him and i don't know it's a brilliant idea really good a really great way of tying tying everything together. it'd be good to see a comic about that Mm. someone could do a good comic series about nick's going to hell escaping hell and, and becoming the leader of the cult. Yeah, really, really good. good. Yeah. Mm. Nice one, Isaac. Nice one. <laughs> and I think that pretty much brings us to the end of our first feedback podcast. So mm. we've got another one of these way down the line. So do keep the feedback coming in. If you want to send us any emails, hellraiserpodcast at hotmail.co.uk or Twitter at hellraisercast or on Facebook. Yeah. That'd be great. Or check out the uh, cenobite.com. The forum. Yeah, go to the, yeah, the Hellbound Web forum. Which is a really good forum, that one. And uh, have a look back through the comments that we've already had from people, because people have said so many great things. Yeah, we haven't, uh, yeah, I apologise if we haven't read out your feedback today, your emails or your comments from the from the forum, but there's been so, so many, we can't go through every single one of them. But it's been really nice, it's been really good for us to look through the forum and see what people are writing yeah. about the podcast, and please keep, keep well, going with that. awesome that that's in the public domain so anyone can go and look at it and yeah. uh, we'd recommend that to everyone no it's really cool especially um, all of Scarecrow's comments because he's basically on a few of the podcast he's kind of written his thoughts as he's listening to it yeah. <laughs> there's sort of a list of things of, of him disagreeing or agreeing with us and it's really interesting to, to basically watch him listen to it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's great no, they're all great so thanks for that as well thank you Scarecrow for all your feedback too mm, thanks and everyone good website <laughs> yeah now, our next podcast is going to be about Hellraiser Bloodline again, which we mentioned earlier on. But it's going to be about the original script and the original version versus what was finally made. So we're going to go a bit into, you know, behind the scenes things and what could have been, what wasn't, and what should have been, and that sort of thing. So if you want to have a look at the original script, you can find it at that website we mentioned just now, Cenobite.com. There's a library there which has some original scripts, which are all brilliant. You should read them all if you've got time but if you can between now and our next podcast do read the original script of bloodline and if you don't want to sit and read it then we will be talking about it next next time and going through the differences between the script and what actually got put on the screen in the end and reiterating a couple of problems they had in the production as well Mm. to make it unfortunately one of my least favorite ones to watch Mm. Mm. shame Anyway, thank you again so much for listening and all your feedback and keep it all coming in and keep listening and we love you. (laughs) Yes, thanks everyone. Thanks very much. See you soon. Cheers. Bye. Mm